God's justice. There's a lot of talk about justice in our day. We're going to talk about God's justice. Justice according to God. Justice as defined by God. Justice as revealed by God. Justice. God's justice. Here's four things we're going to do with it today. Four points that are coming. One is I want to define the idea of justice very briefly. Then I want to explain the concept of God's justice rather briefly. Then we're going to spend the bulk of our time in two great texts. The one we were just in, but some later verses. And then also another one in another book of the Bible. Two great texts about God's justice. And then at the end, we'll see how much time permits for all this. I have a bunch. I have a whole bunch of timely, I think, and pertinent application. So God's justice, what we're doing first is defining it. Now, when we say justice, we're using legal terminology. Think of like the criminal legal system, and people want, and rightly, they want justice. Justice is that which is right according to law, that which corresponds to, that which couples with law. And God's justice, in particular, is that which is morally right with God's law, that which couples with, that which comports with God's law. Uh, in the Bible, the word justice tends to be used mostly in social contexts. So it's about, in the Bible, it's mainly about justice and how we treat other people. One of my favorite terms used about justice in the Bible, and it's used a number of different places, stated slightly differently, is we are to operate with other people socially using a just balance and even scales. In other words, I don't want to weigh you in one way, but somebody else in another way. I don't want to weigh you in one way, but myself in another way. I don't want to be dishing something out to you, but I got my thumb on the scale, and I'm really pushing it in my favor. No, there's to be a just balance and an even scale. It's usually in social relationships. It's usually in legal relationships. It's about fairness and equity, the fairness of the courts as they render judgment. So briefly, that's a definition of justice. Now I want to explain some more about the concept of God's justice. There's a very fine definition given to us of some of the attributes of God in a venerable old document that is known as the Westminster Shorter Catechism, written in the 1600s by a whole pile of eminent church leaders and theologians and pastors in those days. And they spent months and months and months hammering out documents to be used as teaching tools in the church. And one of those documents was the Westminster Shorter Catechism. You would catechize your family. You would catechize your loved ones. And the a uh, question I'm looking at from that catechism today is question number four, which asks, what is God? And here's the answer. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. It doesn't get better than that in uninspired literature. By inspired, I mean 
God has breathed out the scriptures. They're inspired. This is not God-breathed literature, but it doesn't get much better than that. Let's look at it again. God is a spirit, and he is three things, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all those things that follow. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom, and so on. But the one we want today is this. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his justice. With all the injustice that we are guilty of and all the injustice on the planet, I am so glad to know there is one who is infinite in his justice, who is eternal in his justice, and who is unchanging in his justice. And that is God. And he is very like us, in, in that way. And notice, he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his justice because they are who he is. Justice is who he is. It's not that there's some other standard that he found somewhere in the universe and said, all right, justice is going to be that standard. When I need to know what's just, I'll go to that law. No, it's according to him. Justice is according to him. So God's justice might be likened to the little hand on a compass. Anybody ever handled a compass? When I was a kid, I used to, I had this army map box that I would carry. I was all dressed in army stuff out in the bushes in the rain and foxholes I had dug with my little machine gun. And I mapped our neighborhood and I had a compass so I could show you this is facing that way, and I thought it was really cool. Later on in life, Debbie and I did a lot of backpacking before and even a little bit after we had babies. And uh, back in those days, there was no GPS, you know. You're just out in the mountains with bears. So you had a map and a compass, and every now and then you would be disoriented. That's man speak for lost. (laughs) Honey, I think we're disoriented. And then you hated to admit that you needed to do this, but let us consult the map. And you get your compass and set it on the map and get the map oriented and say, okay, that must be that mountain and this must be where that stream. And you'd figure out where in the world you are and you'd go on some more. I have a little experience with maps. There's a little, little pointer on the, on, on the compass. And wherever you go, it's always pointing where? This is your chance. Due north. Unless you're standing on due north, which is actually in Canada, not in the North Pole. But if you're standing on it, the little needle doesn't know where to go, go because it's under you. So as the little needle in the compass always points due north, so God always points righteousness, justice. He can be no other. He can do no other. This is God's justice defined and explained. Now, two passages. The Bible says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be confirmed. We'll go with two witnesses today. And the first of them is found in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Again, the song of Moses, which he gave the people with his dying breaths. So if you ever listen to Moses, this is a good time to listen to Moses one of the great men ever to walk the planet. It is packed 
Read the whole chapter this afternoon, Deuteronomy 32. It is packed with juicy truths about God, including His justice. So I'm going to go back and review verses 1 through 3, but drop part of it out and give you the three dots. That's called an ellipsis. And here they are, verses 1 through 3. Give ear, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. And then we're going to go down to verse 4, and here's how he begins to proclaim the name of the Lord. He says, the rock. Let's just pause on that word for a minute. Just want to make sure you all know that is not a reference to Dwayne the Rock. Dwayne the Rock is one big man, but Dwayne the Rock compared to God is a little piece of dust. Is about a half a molecule. So this is this is the rock. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. Your feet are planted on the rock. You're not yet a follower of Christ. What will I get if I become a Christian? You'll get your feet planted on the eternal, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable rock. Rock of ages who becomes a cleft. There's a little hollowing in the rock, and you can hide yourself in him in times of trouble. So he's the rock. I'm getting off topic. We want justice is the topic. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. That's nice. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. All his ways are justice, just and upright is he. This is the beginning of Moses proclaiming the name of the Lord. And justice is one of the major topics that comes up. All his ways are justice, just and upright is he. All his ways, everything God does is justice. You can say to him, but you'll be wrong and he'll be right. You can say to him, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. That's not fair. Why would a good God ever allow such things to come into my life? It's not just. But you'd be wrong, and let God be true, though every man a liar. All his ways are justice. It might not look like justice right now. Maybe somebody got away with something. But just remember, God does not settle all his accounts right now. And there is a day called the last day, and it might take till you get there before it's justice, but there will be justice. And there are just reasons why God allows justice to be violated for now. All his ways are justice. So what that means is God is fundamentally, I should turn it around the other way, we are fundamentally not like him. Do you know much about yourself? Have you noticed yet that not all of your ways are justice? That sometimes in your dealings with people, you have your thumb very much on the scale, you're tilting things, you take 
the worst of what they said and make it everything, and the best of what you said and make it everything. And it's not fair. It's not justice. We are very unlike God in this regard. Sometimes as parents, got some parents in the room, sometimes as parents, we fail to administer justice. So we had four sons, and for a lot of different years, other boys living with us for various reasons. So inevitably, a bunch of guys living in the house, there would be fights. So I'd hear something growing in the next room. I'd hear the voices getting louder. Maybe it would start to sound physical in there, and I'd go in the room to administer justice. But I wasn't there when it started, and so I couldn't really tell, and I don't know whose story to believe, so I'd just say, look, you're all in trouble. Here's what's happening. You're going there. You're going there. And one of them would say, that's not fair. And I would say, that's right, and life isn't fair, and this is the best I can do. I'm sorry. Even the courts, the most conscientious judge, can't always get it right. The, the, the best jury on the planet does not always get it right. Sometimes people who are guilty are freed. Sometimes people who are not guilty are sentenced. There's a lot of injustice on this planet, not with God. All, can I have that verse again? We lost the back screen. All, thank you, all his ways are justice. Just and upright is he. To jump ship a second to another passage, I just I love it. I can't help fitting it in. Genesis 18, 25, Abraham is interceding for the city of Sodom. Sodom's going to go rain out some brimstone. God's going to rain out some brimstone on Sodom because of their iniquities. And Abraham's saying, yeah, but my guy Lot, he's in there, so would you for this many people spare it? Yeah, I would for this many people spare it. And when he's reasoning with God, he says, and shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yeah, the judge of all the earth always does right. But now later in Moses' song, he gives us some examples of things that we might have a hard time with, that might not seem like God is being just, that might not seem like God is doing right. And I'm going to point out one of them to you, and it's Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. God says, see now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. And then these things, I kill and I make alive. Well, that doesn't sound just, somebody says. I wound and I heal. Was somebody wounded? Ultimately, God says, that's me. I wrote that into my prescription for the ages that I would allow that wounding. So ultimately, it lands with me. I wound and I heal. Somebody got healed, that's with God. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. When I determine to wound, you're going to get wounded. When I determine to heal, you're going to get healed. And elsewhere it says, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No, he's God. He is he. He is even I. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holy, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He is God of very gods, Lord of lords, King of kings. He is the creator. He is your sustainer. So he does these things, but according to 
human, fallen human standards of justice, we would question God. Well, it, what, what kind of a God would kill? I can get the make alive part, but I'm struggling with the kill part. It doesn't seem just. What kind of a God would wound? It doesn't seem just. What, what kind of a God would say, you can't deliver anybody out of my hand? Once I got them in my hand, they're not getting away. What kind of a God is that? So Moses has given us examples of things that humans might struggle with, but that really are encompassed by God's justice. In God's dealings with us, there are things that do not fit with current notions about justice, but they are justice. So here's what I want to say to you at this point in the sermon. Make sure you get your justice your definitions of justice, your examples of justice, your applications of justice. Make sure you get your justice from the Bible and thus from God. Make sure your notions of justice are rooted in the character of the one who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And make sure you don't get your notions of justice from current theories and movements who are spinning and proclaiming some very not biblical theories about justice and some very not biblical theories about what's right and what's wrong. A lot of what's going on in our nation now is people making up justice and forcing it on others. So God is infinite, unchangeable, and eternal in his justice. Second passage. Second passage for today. Great passage. Daniel chapter 9. One of the great prayers of the Bible. Wish we could cover the entire chapter. It's amazing. It's a prayer of the man of God, Daniel. You want to learn how to pray in amazing ways? Just work out of Daniel chapter 9, and in it we learn about the justice of God. Now, let me give the occasion before we start, start through it. You can have it up. That's fine. Babylon, a pagan nation, has invaded the kingdom of Judah. You now have the kingdom divided. You have Israel and you have Judah, and the kingdom of Judah has been invaded by pagan enemies people they barely even knew, Babylonians. And the Babylonians won, and they conquered Judah, and they took them captive with them back to Babylon, where they remained captives for 70 years because of their incessant idolatry. So Daniel ministers during that time. He's in Babylon. I mean, imagine you live in Abingdon or Bel Air or Joppa Town or Edgewood or somewhere around here, have it a grace. And imagine we're all taken by some nation and they kill a bunch of us and they take a bunch of us home and, and to their home and there you are now in their home. You're living in their land. You are enslaved to them. It just, I, mean, I can imagine in my human weakness, I'd be sitting over there going, this just don't seem right. This just ain't right. Lord, what, do you notice? Are you good? Are you powerful? Why? Why did I see deaths? Why am I now living in this strange land, Babylon? 
And so Daniel in his prayer sets some things about God's justice straight. Look at Daniel 9, 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Same word in the Hebrew, same word in the Greek as justice. Justice and righteousness are the same word. To you, O Lord, he's a captive in Babylon. His people have been destroyed and hauled away and enslaved. And he says, Lord, you are righteous. You are just. And to us, open shame. So this is Daniel. Somewhere near him, some other Jewish man is saying, this isn't right. I'm mad at God. I can't believe in a God like that. We're going to fashion our own justice. No, God's dealings with peoples and nations are righteous. Later in the prayer, Daniel 9, 11 through 14. It's as short as I could make it, man. It's just all so good. Here's what Daniel prays. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, especially in idolatry. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. Notice the definite article. The Lord has kept ready the calamity. What is the calamity? Remember back with me if you know some Bible, and if you don't, just learn some Bible now. Uh, when God brought his people up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and delivered them and was sending them to Canaan, as they were entering Canaan, they were to go through a valley, and on one side was Mount Ebal, and on the other side was Mount Gerizim. And about half of the people were up on one mountain, and about half of the people were up on the other mountain. And the Levites, from the tribe of Levi, the official, like, they were like the pastor guys in those days, the Levites would proclaim a part of the law and, and a blessing or a curse. Blessing came from one mountain, curses came from the other. And the people of Israel were there to hear, you'll be blessed if you do this, you'll be cursed if you do that. Now, among the curses in that day were, the first one was, if you follow after idols, you'll be cursed. But also among the curses was this, and if you don't keep my law, a nation that you have not known will come and destroy you. So Daniel is saying, this is exactly what God told us he would do. He told us, if you guys become pagan idolaters, if you guys become like the nations, if you guys indulge yourself in their sinful pleasures, I'm going to come in vengeance. And Daniel's saying, this is justice. This is righteousness. It is just of God to do what he has just done. Let's read on. Uh, he has kept ready the calamity, that one he foretold between Ebal and Gerizim, and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. It is righteous that God brought upon them calamity. We fallen people are not very good at logic. Do you know that about yourself? We, we are not very good at being rational. We, are, we become highly irrational when we want something, but the facts aren't with us. And we're very good at twisting facts and creating alternate facts, and, and uh, we don't even realize we're doing it. We're really, even 
the most brilliant people on the planet, are terrible with logic because we're fallen. We're terrible at reasoning well. And so our puny fallen brains are terrible at reasoning about what's just and what's not just and about God's justice. So, so that when dark providences overtake us, you're a captive in Babylon, and when injustices seem to fly like arrows, we need to stay our souls with this. The Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. So you need to be able to point at everything and say, we can't even see the righteousness in that now. I might have to wait till the last day to see it, but God will be justified. These things that are happening, God is righteous. He is just in doing these things. So we gave a definition. We explained some of what we meant by the righteousness and justice of God. We looked at two passages, and now, much to my pleasure, I got some time left for some applications. Y'all ready? Here we go. Number one, put it up. This helps us when we see or suffer wrongs. Which we're doing all the time. Those boys in that room, one of them, and I sent them all to somewhere, you go there, you go there, you go there, sit a while. Uh, One of them was probably completely innocent. Just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I didn't know. I couldn't discern. And so he probably suffered unjustly. They still love me. They got through it. It's all right, parents. We, we see, we suffer wrongs. What do you do when everything in your soul wants to say, this just is not right? Why would a loving father allow this? Why won't you take that out of my life? Why are you letting that happen to those people? It's not just. No, that's your twisted, poor logic, fallen sense of human justice. But you've got to listen to Scripture. You've got to get your justice from the Word of God. And God is absolutely just in all that He does. So you learn to humble yourself and submit yourself to His justice and wait to see how His justice plays out. Very important. If you don't want to get... Somebody out there is getting justice. If you don't don't want to get all disillusioned about God, it helps us when we see or suffer wrongs. Here's a second application, and we'll spend more time on this one. This corrects notions of justice that are increasingly, I added that word, increasingly popular in our day. There is much going on in our land about justice. There are new definitions of justice being proposed. There are new definitions of evil. There are new lists of evil. There are new ways we're supposed to deal with those evils in in our land. And here's where we need to be, First Chronicles 12, 22, I don't have that up there for you. We need to be men of Issachar, and it reads, First Chronicles 12, 22, the men of Issachar, some of David's men, were men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. This is a time when it's good for Christians to be men and women of their times and to know in this climate, what are we supposed to do? What do we do? 
The world's concept of justice is, in my opinion, moving farther and farther away from God's justice. And things that God says are just, they say are evil. And things that God says are evil, they say are just. And it's, it's getting worse. And the church tends to catch the world's diseases. Monkey see, monkey do. Laura, I wasn't looking at you intentionally when I said monkey, all right? It just, <laughs> just happened. The church tends to catch the world's diseases. So here's what, what I think is happening right now in some quarters of the church, and you know, who am I? I'm not like proclaiming me to have it all figured out, but I see some Christians, see, you see in your Bible the word justice, and you say, okay, justice, we need justice, it's in the Bible. You see the word justice. And then you see people saying, this is justice. And you go, well, then I, I, then I got to go with this because this is justice. But the question is, is that really justice? Does that really fit with the word over here? Or is that a human, humanly concocted form of justice that doesn't really fit with God's word? Let me give you some examples. I hope you won't mind. I'm not talking about anything that isn't talked about in the world. Is it right or wrong to burn and loot stores? Now, I got compassion. I got compassion. There are people who are hurting. There are people who are suffering. There are people who are poor. It's hard to deal with. Maybe they don't have the Spirit of God in their hearts. Maybe they don't have the Word of God informing them. And they're living in tough, tough times, and they see their opportunity to get that mattress they've never had. All right, I, I, I got sympathy with that. But on the other hand, God's law says they're stealing. And God's law says you shall not steal. You shall not do that. However, this is interesting. Just this month, September of 2020, a lady named Vicki Osterweil released a book. As of yesterday, it's number 22 in Amazon's 22,000 books in its category. And the title of this Vicki Osterweil's book is In Defense of Looting. It's got a crowbar on the cover. And I, I, I read what, you know, you can use Amazon to look inside. So I did some looking inside. And here's what, some of what the book says. Um, looting gets people things they need. Things they deserve things they have been robbed of. It attacks the unjust idea of property. Now, is property an unjust idea on God's list? Does the Bible say property is unjust? So it's fair to loot because that's unjust. Does it say people deserve to have the same? You know, that's one of the big things now is equality of outcomes. Everybody ought to have the same. Is that anywhere in the Bible? No, far from it, actually. Far, far from it. I don't know if you've noticed, God is not an equal opportunity distributor, nor does he give the same results for the same effort to, the, to two people. He has predetermined the boundaries of our habitation. You will live there. You will be raised in this home. Really? Yes, yeah, that home. Um, here's the education you won't have. Here are the opportunities you will have. And there's what they won't have, and so on. And God divvies those things up. And it is very asymmetrical in its distri distribution. 
In the Bible, there are rich and poor people, and God never says, that's wrong, we've got to level it. In fact, Jesus says, look, the poor you'll always have with you. Not that we shouldn't try and help to elevate the poor in any way we can, and I, I'm all for that, and you should be too. So is God. He's compassionate upon the poor. Jesus was compassionate upon the poor. But there's nowhere that says, if you don't have the things that you want or need or deserve or have been robbed of, have they been robbed? Not in God's Word then it's just to loot. That's number 22 in a category of 22,000 books on Amazon right now. Looting is justice. We ought to be compassionate, but looting is not justice. Let me switch to a different current topic, abortion. Why is it so important to some? So you would think, all right, here's the deal going on with abortion. Um, A woman finds herself in a predicament. It's going to change her life. It's not desired at this point to have that kind of change. It'll be a financial pressure and whatnot. And so she decides she wants an abortion. That's part of the whole reason why there's abortion. That is not at all the main reason. The main reason for abortion is what is called women's rights. Now, are these rights, rights means justice, means righteousness. Are these rights found in the Bible? So the whole idea here is women need to be made equal to men in every way. So here's the problem. A sexual act occurred and somebody conceived. Who always conceives? The woman. That's not fair. That's not right. So the man has an easy out. He doesn't conceive. He can just walk away. But I got a thing in me, and that's not fair. So in order for women to be equal to men... I have to be able to abort that thing that is in me. And it's righteous and just. And if you disagree, you are evil and unjust, and you deserve to be blamed and maybe punished. Of course, as you know, the problem is there's a third person involved in the equation. There's a little life in that womb. And it is not just, and it is not righteous to tear that little life to pieces. But we'll ignore that. We'll dehumanize that, which is throughout history and various movements, when you want to kill people, you first dehumanize them so it feels okay to kill them. We'll dehumanize that which is in there. It's just fetal tissue. It's just something. It's a part of her body. (laughs) By the way, all right, you're going to get me going here. Five minutes, 25 seconds. So you do know, don't you, that in 50% of the cases, it's a different gender than she is. In many cases, it has a different blood type than her. It always has different DNA than her. It has its own DNA. It has its own central nervous system. It feels pain she doesn't feel, and she feels pain that it doesn't feel. So it's not part of her body. It's another body living inside of her body. And that body has rights. But today, you're evil if you don't agree that it's justice to give that woman that level of equality with the man by getting rid of that part of her body. All right, what about, what about gender? You know there's a whole field of study now called gender justice. That's the word they chose. Cho- gender justice. Now, I assure you, what we read about gender justice is not God's justice. Don't you go getting sucked into it. For example, how many genders are there? The Bible makes that really clear. Male and female made he them. End of story. 
there are two genders. I did a little reading yesterday, and I read this in a very popular book. Gender isn't about someone's anatomy. It is about who they know themselves to be. There are many different gender identities, including male, female, transgender, neutral, gender neutral, gender fluid, non-binary, agender, pangender, queer, gender queer, two-spirit, third gender, and all or none of a combination of these, and many, many more. This is not just a few people in some little weird hole in the wall somewhere. This is a lot of people, especially in academia, even in politics. And so they say, if you are cisgendered, do you even know what that is? If you, cisgendered means you identify with the gender you were actually physically born with. So you're born a male and you still believe you're a male. You are cisgendered. If you're cisgendered, that makes you the majority. You're in the majority. That empowers you and that empowerment is bad. And you need to check your privilege and feel bad for it and repent of it and repent of being cisgendered. And if you oppose us in our number of genders out there, you are evil and it is justice to confront you about your evil. This is what's I'm trying to explain to you. This is what's going on. It is really all the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of evil. It's the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. All right, now we have to get really low for a minute. All kinds of issues in human sexuality. There is sexual justice, so-called. There is biblical sexual justice, and then there's the world's current version of sexual justice, and they are very, not, very much not the same. So I hate to go here, but I'm going to go here. Pedophilia. There is a bill proposed. I think it's still proposed in California right now. It's SB 145. It would give judges latitude for certain sex offenders to remove the requirement that they would register as a sex offender. So, did it pass? I, I don't know that, but I'll take your word for it. It passed. Um, so, so, here's how it works. If a 24-year-old guy has a thing with a 14-year-old girl. It's up to a 10-year gap. Uh, that's statutory rape. And in the past, you, you would have to register as a sex offender because of that. This bill gives judges the leeway to say, nah, he, you're 24 and she was 14, but you're not going to have to register as an offender. Now, the defenders of this bill are saying, oh, we're not saying it's not bad. Well, if you take away the penalty you've taken away the law. It is a very powerful first step into pedophilia. And there are, to go on a little bit longer, there are new lists of things that are sins and new lists of things that people need to repent of and new lists of justice. And as a believer, you dare not fall into those. And I think some are. So there's even a new original sin. It is privilege. And there's no real repenting of it. You're just guilty. You need to live your life checking your privilege. That's not in the Bible anywhere. There's a demand for equal outcomes. <laughs> like in math. Are you aware of this? There's an attack on math. Not everybody's good at math, right? Who in this room is willing to admit, I am not good at math? 
All right? So some people say, it's not fair. They get to be an engineer. I want to be an engineer. I'm pathetic at math. I don't get to be an engineer. It's not fair. So what we need is new math. There are other approaches to math. And what some people are saying is, I just hope they don't get a job working as a flight. Who are the guys in the tower? Yeah, that flight controller, yeah. I hope there's still math in the tower. Real math, not new kinds of math. But the idea here is math is not just. It doesn't treat people fairly. It doesn't give equal outcomes. And so we have to change math so everybody has the same opportunity to do where math goes. This is, this is 2020. Hasn't this been an amazing year, 2020? All right. God's justice, as found in the Scriptures, helps us to correct notions of justice that are increasingly common in our day. I have a final thing to say to you. This is a bit of a turn, but here we go. Final thing I want to say to you. Um, number three, this is why you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because you have not been just, and at the last day, God will be just. But there's a way that you can appear, you, an unjust, sinful person, can appear before a just and holy God as one who is just, as one who is righteous, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Here's the verse for you, Romans 3.26. I think I have it to put up there. And it says, so that he, God, might be just and be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He can be just and pardon you. He can be just and forgive you. He can be just and say, it is well with you for all eternity. Just and justifier. You need Jesus Christ to make you just in God's sight. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, there are surely people in this room, others who are listening from elsewhere, who need, who need to be made right with you, a holy and a just God. Show them, show them in their hearts, show them the way through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we pray. May people in this room cry from their hearts right now, Father, have mercy upon me that I may stand in Christ just, right with you according to your law at the last day. Forgive me, Father, I'm a sinner. Have mercy upon my soul. Father, we pray that your truth would prevail in these days and in all days. We pray that your word would not be chained. We pray that your people would stand strong on truths as they are revealed in Scripture. Help us, the church, to love people, to love everybody, to treat them with love and grace and kindness, and yet to know where we need to differ and to stand with your word. Now as we come to the Lord's table, as Pastor Stan leads us to the Lord's table, oh Lord, draw us near to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.